Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. I am Laura Chestikoff from Firebird Summit. Hey, hey, everyone. This is Lawrence Henderson from Boss, ready to rock and roll. Awesome. Okay. Well, so uh, it is uh, it is the beginning of July, 2020. We are seeing a resurgence, or not a resurgence, we're seeing an escalation of COVID in like 23 states, including pretty much all of the Sun Belt, which is where you and I both live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of, I, I kind of feel like we've moved into this like, like time to refocus and double down again, right? I think, you know, living in Florida or, you know, Texas where I used to live, there were so many people who kind of, I think in the beginning, were looking at it like, us oh, this is a New York City problem or whatever, Californians. Yeah. You know, and I think um, uh, it was easy to dismiss it, you know, or, or assume that, you know, all the early fantasies that, oh, it'll, you know, heat will kill it or that, you know, we have enough, we're not, we're not, you know, concentrated enough, like, you know, in terms of like compact living spaces, that it's that big of a deal. And of course, now it's not <laughs> like, you know, Texas and Florida have gone at reverse. They've, they've shut down bars and, you know, it's like, it's just kind of a mess. But one of the things that has come up um, for me in this has been, um, you know, I've been watching probably more than I should have. It's not really good for my mental state, watching some of the um, to mask or to not mask debates online and social media is particularly toxic for those. Um, and I was looking at, you know, Mitch McConnell posted something on Twitter yesterday about wearing a mask. And I kept thinking to myself, it's kind of three months too late. Like, where the hell have you been? And I feel like there's been such an erosion of trust um, among so many leaders because they were so dismissive or because of how they responded or didn't respond or generally is because we find them to be toxic human beings, whatever, like for whatever reason. And it really got me, uh, it dovetailed into a couple conversations I was having with some, some clients about kind of how do you get over trust hurdles with people, right? I mean, there are so many reasons that someone might, might distrust or, or have a basic amount of mistrust with someone or when it comes to someone in particular. And obviously we can't solve, there's not a one size fits all, but I think there are a lot of things that, that kind of tend to come up, right? So if you're dealing with a leader who's trying to get over trust problems or trust hurdles that they've had with their team or their peers or their you know, bosses or whatever, what are some of the, some of the things that you work with them on? Like, you know, things that like behaviors, changes that they can make to help, help get over that trust hurdle. Not just building it to begin with, but really making an effort after they've they've done some damage. What are what are the kinds of things that that you would start with? Yeah, first thing um, I would start with is their awareness of what it was that caused the mistrust in the first place, and if they're not even aware or 
there's they're naming multiple things um that is troublesome for me um and so the first place we need that we need to get clear on on what we're working on because uh they may have been doing some unconscious things and they may have positioned themselves kind of like the to mask or or not to mask they've held an ideal idea of themselves and they've operated a certain way and now somebody's brought to their attention that you've been ticking people off along the way and so there may be a path of destruction that you now need to go back and become aware of the phasing of what you've done um, so that you can know how bad the damage is because um, there are some relationships and I would say even as a coach um, early on in my coaching and even now um, people's understanding as they're going through the process things may have gotten said in a, in a coaching session that caused a mistrust and they don't want to talk and even if I'm ready to talk I can't make anybody talk to me and so one of the biggest things that I would say personally you have to you have to give space um, and you can't judge somebody else's process who is working through the emotion and the feeling of something you violated for them right there's a loyalty issue there's a respect issue there's some there's you violated some value for them that they now need to process that information and you as the person that needs to have a talk with them can't rush them and so again understanding it's business but we're dealing with people and so people if you push it and say hey we either deal with this or or we just move on if you can't get past it that's that's a natural thing we want to do we just want to get on with life which is what i believe the whole bars thing is we just want to get on with it um get over get on with it so we can get over it right that's the mind get on get on to get over but when you're dealing with people right we're squishy we're emotional we're complex um you got to let people process but kind of set expectations. You can set expectations in a moment of frustration and, and emotion, but first things first, find out where they are from an awareness standpoint. Um, and then you may be dealing with a leader who has been putting off vibes that they don't even care. So that's another part, like it's another layer of, okay, why do you care now to, to find out, right? And, and it's, it's, um, it's like the client, first needs and needs analysis of why now why me uh what what do you want out of this right and you stack the needs questions on them um but yeah for that leader they have to there's aware there's a whole lot of awareness work that needs to happen so you said something interesting there mm -hmm. uh, which is you know they could they could be kick you know sort of emanating a vibe that they don't care um, I think for me, indifference is one of the hard, I mean, actually that's where I usually part ways with clients because you can't, mm -hmm. can't fix something that somebody's not committed to fixing. Yep. Um, I think what, what is, um, easier to deal with is, is obviously something more proactive, right? Cause indifference is, uh, you know, if you don't, if you don't care, you're probably not even in coaching. So mm -hmm. in fact, I would say that more often than not, if you don't actually care, um, and you're talking to a coach, it's probably because your boss made you talk to a coach. Exactly. Which, which is largely a lose-lose proposition, mm -hmm. right? You're going to have trouble getting very far in that scenario. However, so if we so if we take the indifference option off the table, right? Because I think that's that sort of is it, its own its own yep. set of challenges, and um, that that one's more variable, I think. Um, and 
or maybe let's do it this way. So, so say you were brought in by the boss and you talk to the person and they clearly are indifferent. What do you do then? The, the boss is the sponsor, the boss yep. brought you in, the boss forced the conversation. You talk yeah. to the person and you're like, dude, they're playing mental tiddlywinks. They do not give a damn. Yep. Um, because again, to your point, you, you just said, I, it's a lose-lose and I'm, I want to get it to a win-lose, right? You, you, you got you to gotta stair-step this thing. And first question I ask, why do you believe I'm here? Right? Because I want to begin that person to take ownership, not of everything, but the situation, right? Your boss has sponsored me to be here. And I'm supposed to, for all intents and purposes, report back. I have some deliverables and I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste your time. How can we make this productive? Right. And, and go back to the originality of the coaching agreement. You're my client. You're my client. Yes. Your boss cuts the checks. Yes. But you're my client. I'm your coach. I want these to be productive for you. So yes, we have to, there's some performance things we've all discussed up to this point, but what do you want to talk about today? Why, why are we talking in this session, right? And begin the coaching agreement because it's through that, right? Every coach understands, well, every good coach understands that we have to establish ourselves to build trust, to build credibility, to build confidence. And if that person believes in they that we're an agent of their boss, it's going to be worthless sessions every single time. And so just the establishment of what this relationship is, I believe goes a long way with people to be like, okay, I'm going to try, I'm going I'm to take you at your word and we're, I'm going to try something, right? I'm going to just drop, drop little nuggets here and there. Okay. So, so you, uh, one of the things I love about you, Lawrence, is that you have so much faith in people's um, willingness to come around. Gullible. I'm gullible like that. Oh, you're, you're, <laughs> you're very optimistic, and I think it's incredibly. <laughs> okay, so, so let's let's assume, so let's so then then that's how you would handle you know being brought in in a case where they're behaving indifferently, whether they recognize that they're coming across as indifferent yeah. or not. That's that's how you would approach trying to build a relationship. Yeah. So what happens if instead, um, you know, the, the reason that they've destroyed trust on their team or with their boss, either way, mm -hmm. right, up or down, yep. or across, could be across as well. Um, mm -hmm. it, what if that's something more proactive, right? Either across as, as angry or they're not coming across hmm. reliable and trustworthy. Yeah coming across as as dropping the ball or you know being inclined to lay blame I mean there's so many reasons right that we that we can find ourselves having yeah. inadvertently mm -hmm. distrust um and then you have to come up with a plan for how to get back to it so so yeah. point, you start off with you know what understanding what their awareness is yep and then then kind of what what are some of the things that you would how, how what are some of the lanes that you would look at for kind of trying to set up set up a way to move forward so um, I love storytelling, right? Um, and I love the, the coaching modality of asking the question because I, I love the person who does the Heisman Trophy pose thing and deflects and, and says it's everybody else, it's you, not me. Um, and I would want to know one of those stories. Like the, I, ask, I would ask about the last blow up. 
um, that happened, right? Um, what was the last, and then get their account of it. And because again, if it's about awareness, I want to understand like how observant they are of everybody else's action. And then get back to them of what do you believe your role is with that? And then begin to go down that road of reframe and begin to make it point the fingers back at themselves of how could have you, how could you have been better in that situation? Right? Because again, at the end of the day, if they keep deflecting and we never get the conversation back to them in their session, then again, that goes back to being unproductive. And so I would help them have them storytell first and then begin to paint the picture and give me clues and triggers to ask questions. Um, and again, through all of that, add in all the coaching stuff of reframing, of mirroring, of all the rest of the behaviors and um, watch their level of agitation as they rehearse the story, um, the nuances of the story and, and be like, oh man, this is gold. You're giving me gold. Um, but yeah, I would, I would definitely use their story and again, their understanding of how they played in the story and their character. Um, and yeah, that, that's where I would go. Okay. So what are some of the, what are some of like the biggest blind spots you, you experience people to have? Um, in this, in this kind of, in, in this kind yeah. of. Their level of influence, like they don't, they're not really even tracking how much of a force they are in the group dynamic. And so, yeah, they may know they, they have a team of people but again, if the mirror image of that they've been looking at of themselves is, I'm a great teammate. I'm a great team leader. I, I empower my people to, to do their jobs. Yeah, but you, you're also the person who lays them on the railroad tracks and in front of the bus too. Like that was the la that's what the last blow up was about is you left them out there to drive. Like I told Alora to do it and she, that's the way she chose to do it. So. I allow my people to be, uh, you know, the autonomy to be great or not. And it's, they got to own it. And so it's like, okay, but ultimately understanding that leadership, everything rises and falls with leadership and bring in some of those concepts of, you know, if, you know, nobody's following you, you're just taking a walk. You're not, you're not leading anybody. Right. Um, and so just bring in that stuff in, in those hard truths um, and ask permission, right? We understand as coaches, like asking permission before to, may I, may I give you an observation, right? And just lay that out there. And as they're going, um, it may be tough. And I think that's why I love the coaching agreement on the front end, um, particularly how the expectations of me and the client, because they have to know going into this conversation that um, I'm going to do my job and I'm going to do it well. And I'm not going to let you um, self-sabotage um, while you're in a session with me. Um, my job is to hold the space for you, but also it's to be, you know, productive-ish um, if you decide to go that way. But um, they have to know um, that I'm going to, I'm going to challenge, I'm going to challenge in a session. Um, and not a lot of coaches, I, be I believe, explain that well to people um, that, yeah, I'm here to not only hold space, but if I hear some things that that may seem troublesome, I'm going to challenge. 
Well, I think you actually raised a good point there as well, right? I think, um, you know, one of the things that I think so many people try to do is guess why they've broken trust, right? And part of it is, you know, A, one size doesn't fit all. Um, and so if you have a team of, of, you know, five or six people, you could have a, a collective trust issue, but the individual ways that people are taking your behavior could be different. So understanding, you know, what your people need from you is I think extremely important and you can't assume that it's gonna be the same answer for all six people. Um, and the same is true of your boss. Like I think that's so, it's such a strange thing for me to always see people try to be mind readers. And like they try to reverse engineer like some great solution in, and they're like not even sure they know what the question is. And it's like, well, how about if you just ask? Like, like and it's so funny to me because, um, you know, after so many years in consulting, you know, most of the good consultants that I've worked with are kind of like not really afraid to look a little bit dumb by asking the obvious question. And I can always tell when there's someone who's either come from either a really toxic environment where like they're, they get shamed for stuff like that, or they're just new to consulting and they just think that consultants are geniuses and like they're supposed to know everything because they don't, they're the one, those are the people who don't ask, right? They don't ask, okay, why is this important to you? I'm not going to make assumptions. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to superimpose my other industry, you know, related industries or clients or whatever onto your reasoning. You tell me why this is important to you right now. And it's funny because I don't understand why there's so much reticence to do that. Because if, you know, you and I've talked before about how, especially in, you know, since COVID and everything else, um, that the, and I actually had somebody, the, I had someone else tell me this, uh, this week earlier too, was that the people they thought were going to prove, like step up and, you know, prove to be really reliable, consistent, presence in, in, you know, your life actually wasn't really the mix of people you expected. It was people that, some of the people that did it were the ones that you didn't expect. And the truth is like, to your point, right? People are squishy and mushy and, and not as predictable as we always think, right? I mean, people are predictable because they're motivated by the things that are truly meaningful to them, but you can't always know what that is, right? People, everybody's motivated by their own their own unique set of criteria. And we don't walk around with a big sign that says, these are the things that motivate me. <laughs> now it would be kind of like, to some extent, there might be kind of nice, but we don't do that. And so like once, once you understand, but, but part of getting to know someone is understanding that. Yeah. And whether, whether you're a boss dealing with your employees or whether you are an employee dealing with your boss, like what is it in this, like, what creates trust in this relationship between the two of us? And then that relationship has to scale if you are leading a team, um, because obviously it, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily solve your problem if you fix a trust relationship with you know, four people on your team, but you still have two that are, are struggling and, and they could be you know, kind of stirring up the pot when you're not in the room. Like that kind of situation get, is where it gets complicated, but I think you have to start with the individuals first, right? You have to understand that you know, okay, this person is having a trust problem with me because I lost my temper with them and now they're afraid to be honest with me. Or this one's a problem because I spoke out of turn and I, you know, made them question whether or not I keep confidences because I told them something that I probably shouldn't have. This one, you know, there's so many little ways and I think people, I think especially leaders, especially new leaders, I think 
kind of underestimate sort of the plethora of ways that yeah. we can really undermine trust. And a lot of them don't have to be big. Like they can be fairly yep. small. Um, I think um, recurring examples mm. of those are particularly damaging because you start to clearly establish, you know, that, oh no, I got to be careful what I tell her because she's going to share it with all kinds of people. Yeah. You still have to get back on that, that one-on-one -on -one perspective, right? What is it? Yeah. What does trust look like in this relationship? And then once I get through all of those, then you can come back to, all right, individually, I feel good about where we've gotten to. I feel that I understand what they need from me. Mm -hmm. Now we can work on it at a team level. But it's, I think it's, I think the thing that I see that's really challenging, and I think it's probably super hard for people who have hired people uh, in a, you know, new work from home mode, if they haven't worked that way before yeah. um, you know I think people who had like more face-to-face -face relationships and then moved to work from home had relationships they could lean on and some, for some of that I think it's a little bit easier but I think you know if you've hired somebody since we've been in lockdown and you're not used to building trust and relationships remotely um, that can be tough it's a different skill set and again having these conversations becomes super super important and yeah ask the question it's yeah. you're not gonna get struck by lightning yeah and i think and it goes back to something that um every coach should use often in a session in asking permission um and i and i believe if we really talk about building trust particularly in this this season of uncertainty and that that causes its own levels of anxiety in the first place and um, if you're a new people leader um, or you've been leading people for quite some time and you haven't established what it looks like to to manage expectations or to have a win-win a conversation with your directs um, early in their process and early in the, the relationship, then as you're trying to build and as you're going, that's where you lose your footing is because we oftentimes assume through osmosis that people get us um, after being around each other for any amount of time. Like, Allura knows me. Um, she, 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 she knows those words get on my nerves. She, she knows doing stuff like that, clicking of the pen. She knows that gets to me. Well, when's the last time we actually had a conversation about it, right? And, and I think that I got in trouble with that in relationships. Um, I was telling somebody earlier, when, when I first transitioned out of the military, my expectations were for people to engage with me as if they knew what a military relationship looked like. And my wife, it was my I wife who pointed. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh my God, I was destroying people. I mean, not, I was in, and being unapologetic about it too. Like I was a, butt, like full out, like aggressive, but like, yo, I just text you. I called you like you using me. Like, what, like, and they like, dude, I'm not married to you. Like, what are you, why, why, why are you, why are you going off on me? Like, bro, we don't live together. You don't pay no bills here. Like, why are you, like, we was just supposed to go to the gym. Like, what are you talking about? Like, and I'm like going ham on everything. Like, we were supposed to go get burgers. Like, where you at? Like, I'm here. And people was like, yo, chill out. Um, but in work relationships, it could be that way of, if there are no established boundaries, um, from a connection standpoint or how we're going to communicate with each other when things are good, 
then when times get tumultuous or contentious, um, we just start getting real awkward. Um, and, and leaders and people who aren't good at uh, conflict and confrontation, um, their default button is to do uh, the psychological safe thing. Um, and in most cases, that is not engage at all and just let stuff, it'll blow over and take that approach. And almost invariably, the storm is brewing. They're just waiting on you to say hi. And once you say hi, it's on. <laughs> well, and you know, it's funny. So after spending so many, so many years with like working uh, on client implementation work, right? Like big projects, like nothing really ever took less than a year. Like, you know, big, sometimes two years or three years. And I always used to, you know, and, and it was always funny because, you know, my, I would always hire people or my staff would always be like, oh no, I'm great to travel. And then I'd be like, okay, well at the beginning of the project, I need you to travel because I need you on site building relationships with the client. And then of course, like, you know, by like the second month, they're like, oh, I'm, going. I'm like, we're not over the hump yet. Like I, I understand. And we will get to a point where you can post on this a little bit more, but I've been doing this for two and a half decades. There is no way this project is going to run smoothly the whole time. It is going to hit the skids at some point. People are going to be mad. There's going to be people pointing fingers at each other. We're going to have arguments over invoicing and budget and hours and scope and whatever the hell it is. You're going to have people who start getting contentious and pissy. And the single best way to get in front of that is to make sure that you have a high enough level of trust with them that they come and have a reasonable conversation with you and that we can preempt that stuff instead of getting their boss calling me because everybody's freaking out. Because by the time it gets to that point, our options are super, super limited. So taking the time when things are good yeah. to establish that relationship is so, so important because given enough time, every scenario will hit some kind of rocks. Yeah. And I think it's even, um, even in those moments, right, as you're building to create a space for, and again, understand it, this, this is to develop into the type of leader. Like I always tell people, think about the best leader you've ever been under in your entire career and start listing what made them great right? In your words, what made them great, right? Don't, don't go Googling characteristics of a great leader. Why were they great to you? And then you, when you're in charge of people, ask them, like ask them to describe the best leader they've ever had, right? And begin to see if some of the language is the same. Because I think a lot of times when we're, we're lo we lose trust or we're, we're talking past each other, and, and we're really saying some of the same things. It's just that because emotion is involved and because a lot of others that we begin to talk past each other and we're literally saying the same thing just in different ways, right? We're saying synonyms of the same thing and we're missing each other. And when you get into those moments and while before it gets crazy, that you understand that the intent is there for everybody to communicate well, right? And understand this is a skill set to be able to communicate effectively. That is a rehearsed practice. I need reps, build the muscle. And guess what? We still jack it up. 
even, <laughs> even though we know the right things to say, but if we have been in the fight together and we have had these, at least the foundation of a good conversation and managed expectation, I can at least listen to Alora with the understanding that she is not communicating with me to harm me. And then that is a beautiful place to be. And that is established early and throughout leading up to not the if, but when things happen. Because as we all grow, relationships change, everybody evolves. There are going to be those moments that are not, maybe not be a knockout drag out, but they're going to be tense and there's going to be tension. And so how do we communicate effectively and how do we, how do we be conscious in the way we communicate and don't look like we're throwing adult tantrums every time something doesn't go our way? So I actually love that exercise that you just mentioned. And I, I do really, really like that one. So when I, when I would first, when I was first starting coaching, I would ask people, and when I actually, when I first started managing people, even before then, um, I would ask kind of, you know, what is it that you really want in a boss? And that's actually kind of a problematic question because people, there's stuff that people think they want, but actually mm -hmm. turns out, or, or they think they want it. And then you get into the details and they don't really have a definition for it. Yep. So, so to your point, I think asking that question, right. Think of the best boss you've ever had. What was it that made them a great boss for you? Not for mm -hmm. everybody else, but what was it about that what in either inspired you? What was it that made you feel like you had good air cover? What what was it that was really useful um, for you? And what is it that you, you know, left that relationship thinking, damn, I want more than that? Um, and I always find that people are much more capable of getting very specific mm -hmm. when they think about someone that they know. Now, that's difficult if someone says, I've never really had a good boss. <laughs> um, and, and I have had that answer given yep. to me before. Um, and that one's tough. Um, but I think that the, the reality is that, you know, if you've had one, and all it really takes is one, it actually starts helping you kind of piece that together. And it comes back to, you know, one of the things that, that I used to do from a leadership perspective is try to focus on, you know, kind of a, a, a charter for my team. And again, when you come back to, okay, this person really needs a boss who's, you know, provides great air cover or this one, you know, and, and, and to your point, a lot of times there are, there are synonyms, but there's also some difference in prioritization, right? Um, I had, I think I've told this story before, but actually one of my best bosses ever, um, he was the just sort of master at tailoring his managerial style to each one of us on his team. Like each, each of his direct reports um, really got what we needed from him. And I remember one night we were sitting around having drinks and it was just those of us who reported to him. Um, and we were talking about him and how like we each worked with him because we really didn't have a lot of visibility into the other's relationship with him. And listening to all four of us sit around talking, you would have thought we were talking about a different person. Like he had so tailored his managerial style to what each one of us needed. And I really, I realized that was kind of his superpower. Like he was just really, really good at that. And, you know, one of us said, oh, what I love is that you know, he, he never micromanages me. He hands me stuff. He checks in, make sure I have what I need. Ask me if there's anything in my way. He's there if I need something. And like, basically he just stays out of my hair. You know, someone else had a completely different set of answers. My answers were more like, 
no, actually he pokes me and he makes sure that like, I'm, I'm pushing it harder. And I'm like, you know, and, and, and listening to all of us talk about it, you could hear what it was that each of us actually found important and really needed. But what was really amazing was seeing how well he had done very intuitively learning to understand that. Um, and I think for some of us, it gave us this like false expectation that we should all just be mind readers and know how to do that once we moved into positions of being, you know, bosses ourselves. And the truth is, most of us don't have that superpower. So like, you just have to ask, but it's still, I think it's still a good um, example because he didn't treat the four of us the same at yeah. all. We had different degrees of autonomy and responsibility and accountability and, and, and trust side, different sizes of projects, different relationships with stakeholders. Like he completely customized each one of those relationships, but in the process, he built enormous trust across as a team yeah. because each one of us trusted him really, really significantly. And as a result, first of all, not one of us ever would have badmouthed him to our peers. Like for starters, like that's a, that's a first hurdle that you always want to get to, mm -hmm. right? Is that you don't want your team to feel like badmouthing you when you're not there is either okay just generally or would be okay with their peers like you don't you don't want that to be a thing um and so you know and then that becomes a model for everybody else and like that that kind of trust has this sort of it's sort of like throwing a pebble in a pond right there's these mm -hmm. that that sort of ripple out from that but it still all starts from that four set of one-on-one -on -one relationships yep. yeah i i liken it to you literally described the Ken Blanchard situational leadership in the one minute manager book. Um, like literally how that leader was like each one of his directs at this executive level needed something different from him and how he, how he collected data of what each of them knew is because he connected well and he, in his engagement. So a leader who believes they could sit behind their desk and never engage their people will not get to that stage where they actually understand the nuances and what's important to people on a daily basis. And so you begin to notice habits, you begin to notice little, little nuances of their character when you engage on a consistent basis. Um, and again, everybody has tails. Everybody has, when, when certain topics come up or certain areas of emphasis come up, we all have emotional tales or our eyes light up or our eyebrow goes up or something in a, in a very perceptive leader and an intuitive leader can almost begin to anticipate conversations going in certain directions for certain people. And it can almost use it as an intentional trigger to get something out of somebody. Like I know, I, um, I believe I maybe not as strong a superpower yet, but I work at knowing people that way. And I'll lay little breadcrumbs out for people that I, that's their thing. And, and I believe it, it goes to us and why we as coaches, when we hold a space for a client, the, the intuitiveness of us is that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the breadcrumbs that they're leaving us in the way that they story tell, in the way that they describe things. Like we're looking for the little nuances because as coach, it's not necessarily searching for the, the powerful question. 
but the necessary and right question in the moment in which we're in a session. Um, and then we're talking about trust and we're talking about credibility. People connect and they build relationships with people who they believe get them. And I can resolve conflict quicker with the people that I believe get me faster than I believe somebody who looks at me like a transaction. And that's the difference between an organization who has people that are running for the hills. And when I've had people say to me, I can't wait till this COVID thing is over so I can start looking for another job because my leaders don't get me. Like I've, I've heard that statement time and time again, they don't get me. They, I don't think they want to get me. They haven't talked to me since I've been home. The best moments I've ever had have been since I've been home because I don't got to fake like I like anybody. And, and so there are all these things around trust, around credit. It's all around connection. And, and I believe, um, and again, we talk about Gallup, but kind of that best friend quality. Like people want to feel like, and again, we don't got to be the best of friends. I just believe, I just have to believe you care. Like that's the biggest part. Like I need to know you care for me more than just a little bit more than what I can do for you. And if I believe, and I really truly believe that you care for me past what I can do, I believe, yes, trust issues are going to happen. Credibility issues are going to happen. But I believe I'm able to resolve that quicker if, if I know it's coming from a person who cares for me. That's why family members can have a knockout drag out, but then we could go eat. Because <laughs> you, I love you. I appreciate you. But no, you're going to get this smoke. Like, like we going to talk about this. Like, my family knows me. They know I'm going to bring the smoke. Everything. Right. I be like, oh, Lawrence. Like, but, but that's just what it is. So I believe there's a true connection that people desire. And when they don't want to resolve something, it's because they believe somebody literally is not connected at that level of caring for them as a person. So I will, I would, I would agree. And to your point about, um, you know, about Gallup, I think this gets back to, you know, the fact that we have so many managerial paradigms that are just based around a factory way of looking at business and people are not widgets and we don't, we're not interchangeable. It's why we can't assume that every single one of our directs needs the exact same thing from us, you know, and, and it's why to your point, they do need to feel like give a damn about them and like there are so many pieces of that but it just kind of constantly comes back to we did such a disservice to ourselves when we you know kind of promoted this very factoryized widgetized modality of managing people and now we're in this like massive reprogramming exercise it's just hard to pull back and you know people like metrics and they like numbers and they like statistics, but people don't necessarily fit into those boxes very neatly and very cleanly. You know, one of the things that I've, I, I think is the greatest example of this was watching the Democratic primaries, right? As you watch, you know, you had a group of kind of very progressive candidates and a group of, of very kind of middle of the road candidates. And as they would drop out, their supporters wouldn't necessarily go to another candidate in the same field, right? They would go to a candidate that spoke to them for some other reason. And it was making all the political wonks crazy because they're like, I don't like, seriously, if this person drops out, like 
you know, these other two people are the closest to them, like alignment wise, like this is really where you would logically expect their supporters to go, but no, they just jumped the track and they went over here. And it's because people don't fit into boxes. We're not that, we're not that straightforward. Like we have all kinds of different triggers and motivators. And I think we, we create so much hazard in terms of how we organize our teams and how we try to lead organizations and how we try to promote people and coach people and train people into, you know, their own growth, you know, trajectory. When we have this like very clear cut stair step ladder approach that we think everybody's supposed to fit into and you start off here and then you're supposed to want to end up here and, 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 or at the very least you're, this is like the big goal and you're on this path. And, and by the time you retire, it could be somewhere along it, but like that, like, no, no, no. And I think the way that we help people get, get that figured out. Right. So it's so funny. So this last couple of weeks, um, I've had a couple of conversations with friends who are like, you know, I feel really lucky. I had a really good couple of years financially. I'm actually in a position where, you know, this situation now has pretty much crushed my business. The truth is I was actually done with my business. I'm ready to go do something else. And I now have the time and the opportunity. Now that, you know, circumstances have killed my business anyway, you know, now I have the time to make this big pivot and I can actually do something that I really care about because I honestly, I couldn't stand doing that anymore. Um, and it's been really interesting to kind of watch that because that's the thing, like, that's the creative part, right? That's where we realize, no, you know what? We didn't all just get off the college train station when we were 22 and decide we're just going to get on the escalator and just ride it along. Yeah. We want way more creative options than that. And in the world where industries change and collapse and move and, you know, the life cycle of a company is so much shorter than it used to be. And all of these things are so much different and more fluid, yeah. like trying to, trying to, you know, just because you have a hammer doesn't mean everything you see is a nail. Yeah. And it's funny that how rigid and I, and I love your example of how we wanted to fit in this kind of hierarchy manufacturer where, you know, people are widgets kind of thing. But when we talk about the tech industry and how it evolves and it, it, it just literally in a matter of a month, technology, technology could totally change. And, and how now when we talk about, you know, augmented, you know, uh, analytics, and we talk about artificial intelligence, when we talk about how autonomous we want our programming to be, but we as people don't want to ebb and flow or believe others have that capability to ebb and flow and, and move throughout fluidly. And it's like, who do you think came? Why do you believe they want their systems to do it? Because people are like that. And so it's, it's like, we want our tech to do it, but not us. And we want to logically think about people in black and white, but not anything else that we want to work for us. The inanimate objects, we want that to be free flowing and all the way like, who, who is the person you're asking to be that creative? You're asking that person to be rigid. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, actually, developers like, have historically kind of really bought into this. No, no, no. Yeah. Which We'll just automate it. We'll just make it, you know, it just repeats over and over and over again. And there's no room for deviation and we're not going to change yeah. it. Be the same every time. And it's like, well, no, it's really not going to be the same every time. <laughs> like, actually, not at all. Work that way. You can't just like program all of the uncertainty or the, yeah. the gray area out of everything. It doesn't actually work that way. Exactly.
Yeah, but I I love I love this topic. I love this topic because it's it's free flowing, right? Um, and like you said, one thing makes me trust somebody faster oh, yeah. than another thing. And for me, that thing is values. If I connect first with somebody from a values base, oh, I'm all in on you, right? I, I think that's why we click, right? We could be from either side of the world, but the fact that we came in and there is a an integrity and a respect and just a foundation of being good people because we're good people, that's enough for me. You ain't even got to tell me nothing else. That's it. <laughs> you say that. So, so I agree with most of that, but I don't think that's all of it. And I, it's funny. So I've been watching this because um, I have a friend who, um, a couple friends, and it came up in a conversation. And, and one of them said, she goes, you know, I can, I can work with friends. She's, she's over the years, she's had several different business ventures with different friends. She goes, I can work with friends. But the one thing I have learned over the years is we can have different skills like there's all we can be very different on a number of difference but she said the one thing that has to be in alignment is we have to have the same work ethic and it was really oh, I love it that she said that and I hadn't specifically thought about it and then when I started kind of like mentally retracing I'm like huh actually when I look at where I've been really like a great team with someone or multiple someone's versus when I haven't, I think the work ethic is actually a really interesting common like denominator that. Mm -hmm. that I think has some some merit. I, I'm still I'm still noodling through examples to see if I can come up with any where it didn't match. But so far, mm -hmm. I haven't found any where I think she's wrong. And I'm kind of like I'm, I'm developing this sort of thesis, mm -hmm. right? Like sort of what is it that I I really um, need when it comes to people that I work with, and and I. Yeah. Not have thought to put that one on the list, but once she mentioned it, I haven't been able to come up with any examples for why it shouldn't be on my list. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think if we just quickly, yeah, it's a value for me. And I think that's probably what it comes down to is that it ends up being a value. And it, it, it work ethic is in like excellence for me. Right, and I think that's where you have to kind of back into it, right? Is that yeah. It's not, work, work ethic by itself is not one of my main core values, mm -hmm. but my work ethic shows up because of some of my other core values. And yep. it's, really, it's really interesting to me hmm. about that because I suspect there are probably a few other things that, that are similar, and I just haven't put my finger on it yet. And I can actually see that from a perspective of, if we're talking about, working internally with people that that being the one of the quickest ways to lose relationships is that you've identified people you begin to resent others on your team if you don't believe they work the same way you do yeah yeah, yeah. That's, that's team dynamic stuff right there yeah. wow look at you dropping bombs at the end of the conversation I can my friend drop that one on me and I'm still, <laughs> still mentally kind of simmering on it because it really did sort of make me go back and re yeah like bounce it up against all of the other things that I had been considering as fundamental to a good working dynamic but I, yep. I, have to say, I think she's got some there's I think there's really some value in that criteria right I mean how many yeah. people get I mean 
believing that, you know, your colleagues or somebody that you're relying on is sloughing off or, you know, just dropping the ball or not reliable, like those are, those become massive trust issues really, really fast. But it doesn't have to be a trust issue or personal issue. It could just be, you know what, we just have a different work ethic. We don't see yeah. this the same way. We don't see our role in this the same way. We don't mm -hmm. see we don't have the same appreciation for, and again, it's to your point about values, right? We don't have the same appreciation for the fact that other people are waiting for us at the end of this line, or, you know, it's a relay and we got a baton to hand off, right? Like that, but again, I think it's an interesting lens to apply to some of these things. And I think it's good food for thought. So since we're kind of at the end, I'll leave you to noodle on that one. Yeah, thank you for that. No, cause I have, I actually have to interview a, um, a virtual assistant and uh, yeah, you just add questions. To Actually, my that's, that's a good yeah, one. that's a really good one. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Happy to help. I didn't even know you had an interview coming up. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. All Man. right, my friend. Well, have a fantastic week. As always, and good luck hiring an assistant. Thank you very much. And you continue to crush it as well. Will do. I will talk to you next week. All right. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week. <laughs>